0: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: I would suggest you forge more character.
2: You're a guide on the side.
0: Uh, it's, it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. On
1: BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Do you
0: know a lot of history? Do you know about American history? Could you sit down this holiday season and talk about some of these great moments and stories of, of valor and bravery on battlefields. Do you know about that? Because if your kids are asking you questions like mine are, holy cow, it's scary. So we probably need to step up and, and, and maybe do a little exercise mentally this weekend. Um, Don't just let Memorial day be the vacation weekend. The beginning of summer, kids are out of school vacation time. Is there a way that we could just take a little time, tell a story, find two or three stories, go to a graveyard and go buy some flowers and actually go put them on the, the graves of, of soldiers or somebody that, uh, that served this country? It's, a, it's just an opportunity to teach your kids, your grandkids. We need these stories handed down. So one of the things I suggest that would really help is go find people that are in your family that have been a part of uh, – that have served in the military and go tell their stories. Everybody has somebody somewhere in their family history who's probably been in the military. Go talk about it. If they're alive, go take your kids on Memorial Day and celebrate that person. If you have a neighbor that served in Iraq, take them something. Make an effort to go out of your way to thank somebody in the armed services, in the military. There will be parades. Go look for the parades in your area. But make it a point to actually direct this Memorial Day to the memory of those that have served and given their lives and um and teach your kids and your grandkids it doesn't mean you still can't go you know to the ball game or boating or do whatever you do but it's powerful folks and memorial day is it's it's a day i also remember vividly going with my family to the you know to cemeteries getting all the flowers out taking care of uh of the sights of my family members that had passed away and also to hear the stories. I remember sitting in the back of the truck and the uncles talking about those that had gone to war and what had happened and who died where and how that happened. And I remember hearing the stories. And I remember them being handed down. I remember the pictures of an uncle in a Navy uniform. And sadly, I don't even remember him. So then, my kids are like, "So, have you served in the military, Dad? No, no, I haven't. But you had a, I had an uncle that did. Really, where did he serve? No idea." So we want to change this uh, this part of our life and start to actually carry the stories forward. I think Stan made a great point that if we don't bring the stories forward, we are losing the history, but we're also losing ourselves then what do the kids think is the key to being an American? If it's not the battlefield and the character, and you see it. When we talk about Iraq, we talk about how many Americans died there, but we also just talk about the ability of an American to stand and fight and fight for what you need to fight for, and Americans seem to have that. But we may not have that if we don't keep the stories and the rights and the privileges clear in our kids' minds. Someday we might lose the willingness to fight for what we believe in. Heaven forbid, can you imagine the day that we no longer understand the price of freedom? So just challenge it, all of us, myself included, we need to do something more this this, uh, weekend than just going out and having a great barbecue. Also, it's a great time, I think, to just start traditions and to create some traditions. I mean, if you really – if to make it easy, go find American Ride on BYU or uh, on BYU TV and um, watch a few segments of it. Go watch what happened at Gettysburg. Go watch what happened at Valley Forge and see if you don't feel something. the The amazing thing about – The country and all of the lives that have been given is there's an incredible spirit to it. There's an incredible peace to it. It's a religious type of experience. So what if we just turn that on? Try that. Monday morning, when you wake up, turn on American Ride. Go find two or three shows. Just start watching it. And you know what? Your kids will gather around and focus on it. Then talk about it. Use those conversations. Use those stories to put uh, to put some conversations into the minds and the hearts. Ask some questions. Can you imagine going to war at 15? Ask your 15-year-old son that. Can I take my iPhone? No. There's just a lot of great uh, things we've been given and blessed with, and so... I challenge you to to make it a point this year to talk to your kids about it, also make it a really important point to connect to those uh, other generations that are older, your grandparents, your great grandparents. they have so many stories and go ask them about the war. One of my favorite guests, go look up in our podcast i I did a show with a, a man named Terry Herschel, and uh it, it was phenomenal a Vietnam vet, and he tells all he does is he tells the stories about Vietnam. And you see, this is a guy that saw the people closest to him dying regularly. He was a medic. And I sit there and I think, wow, he's lived through all of that, and is willing to talk and share and is honored, you know, at assemblies, they honored him recently, but nobody knows what that man went through for our country. And he doesn't want to talk about it very much. It was painful. It's hard to go back to, but he will share it if he thinks it'll move the life and the heart of a child. So go find those stories, folks. Um, they're out there everywhere. All you got to do is listen to the stories of the the vets coming home from these wars. They're losing arms. They're losing legs. They're losing their lives. So um, let's make a difference on this Memorial Day. That's the challenge from the Matt Townsend Show. Everybody, let's go do it. Make it better and, and make it a tradition in your family to always honor the great blessings of being an American.
2: You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show.
0: You know, we always uh, joke, laugh about the millennials and how they're, you know, they're not leaving home. They just keep boomeranging back. But, you know what? Um, there's something to that. And uh, Christine Romans, uh, our last guest, the, just brought up the fact that they, they have such a great relationship with their parents. That's not all bad. Well, yeah, but people need to grow up and they need to learn to be on their own. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And they also need to learn to relate to their parents. So you may already have that great relationship with your kids. You may also be wondering, uh, you don't want to over, you don't want to enable it, right? You don't want them to never learn how to get on their feet. So that idea she was bringing up of maybe if they come back, you, you basically create a contract with them, and I, I'm a big believer in that. And you sit down, and we create a win-win. And you talk to your millennial, and you tell them what's a win for you and what's a win for them. I loved Christine's idea that you have the the millennial be in charge of your technology. If they're going to live at home, you be in charge of your technology. Let them be in charge of the technology and making sure you've got the best router and the best Wi-Fi numbers. And I mean – use that and let's have a plan for how you're going to pay off your debt. So the way I would do it is to make sure the child's getting ahead, not just, you know, getting comfortable, but that they're getting ahead in their debt. So I'd probably sit down with them and and have them set some goals, have them explain what their goals are and start making sure that uh, maybe in a quarterly meeting or something, we just talk about how things are working. I'd also maybe... You know, be careful about giving them their free space, give them enough free space. Um, it doesn't mean you, you always have to make every meal for them. You might even want to negotiate that. Should I plan on making a meal for you? How does that work? And, and what happens when we bring friends over and, and all of those discussions that need to be there? But you're not going to get very far with your millennials if you, if you just have a bunch of ideas like they're just no good. You know, they're just weird. These kids aren't the same. They're not going to be like a baby boomer. They're not going to be like a Gen Xer. They're just different. And your child is even different from that. So there are some, you know, uh, millennials that um, Christine was calling Henry's high earners, not rich yet. Henry's. Um, and, And, you know, maybe there's some that just love video games. So those that love video games I wouldn't just probably have your millennial just come home and work on video games all day. I would make sure that there's some other plan and um, that that's a hard role you got to play. I have a child that's about to graduate from college or from high school and you know it's time to set some new rules and some limits and he's incredibly smart and yet doesn't love school and yet is incredibly talented online and has built you know, websites and YouTube pages and knows how to get traffic to them and knows how to make money online and all legal and ethical and moral. So we've got a really big plan for him. <laughs> when school's done, he's going to get a job. We're not even going to pretend to send him to college yet. He's going to get a job. And we're going to negotiate a really good deal where he can live at home, but he's got to get learning what a work life is like. And it's hard because he can make money, you know, putting together a wedding video for some couple and make great money and get it done in a day's work and then doesn't have work tomorrow. So everybody's different. So don't just assume that any age you know, difference is going to automatically be a millennial. Figure out your child. Figure out what their wins are. What do they need out of the deal and what do you need out of the deal? Be sure that you also share your win. To make a win-win, it's got to be mutually beneficial. You both have to be winning. Don't assume you know what their win is. Well, your win is that you get a place to sit and eat. Well, that's not always a win. They might be able to get that somewhere else and it may not be better for them figure out what their win is, and also be willing to voice what your win is. I'd also make the the arrangement short-term and evaluate it regularly. Let's evaluate it today. Let's evaluate it in a, every quarter. Let's just sit down and see how we're doing. Is this agreement working for you? Is it working for me? I would really tie it to some other goals like financial uh, debt payments, advancing, you know, or, or money, aggregating money. So that these people can go out and get into something like a home or if they're dating somebody, eventually get married or whatever. So it's a plan. Everybody is different. Um, And uh, I think in the end, you're going to want to stay close to these people as well. We talked to, to other guests last week that so many people are just, you know, they're big into just getting away from everybody going, you know, make their big money in New York. And when they get to New York, they find out that that's not what makes them happy. What makes them happy is being at home with their family and seeing their family and being close to, you know, the a lot of other benefits. So talk to your kids, for heaven's sake. Let's just figure this out. We can figure it out together. We're smart people. This is the Matt Townsend Show, trying to broaden your mind as we uh, help you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Social media is continuing a trend of personalizing your account with the things that matter most to you. Based off of what you post or what you like, each platform can then advertise new pages and new items that are similar to those that you've already expressed interest in, right? So efficient, so easy for you. But what exactly does it mean when you like a brand, when you like something on Facebook, Dr. Mark uh, Pelletier is an assistant professor of marketing at Radford University in Virginia, and he's here today to talk with us about some of the research they've been doing on Facebook and uh, branding and your likes, what they mean. Dr. Pelletier, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What a fascinating uh, read for me. Um, The article you wrote about was in The Conversation. Uh, here's what happens when you like a brand on Facebook, because we, we're all we're all thumbs upping, you know, giving our little likes everywhere, and a lot of us may not know the actual impact it has on us. And I'm not even sure the 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 marketing people know exactly what impact these thumbs up mean. So so talk to us. What what
3: does um what does a like mean? Well, I think what a like means is is a lot of different things. Like you were saying, marketers have a hard time because it's um, an interesting term. If I say I like something, generally that implies I have a a very positive attitude towards it. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I could just kind of think that it's interesting, or I could hate the brand. For instance, (laughs) I am a Buffalo Bills fan. I'm one of um, 800,000 other poor souls that like that (laughs) brand on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, however, a lot of Patriots fans, like the, Bills fans uh, like the Bills page because they want to rage against it. They want to get that kind of news. But oh, wow. for me, it's more of a very big expression of who I am and what's important to me. Because Facebook is, is public and it's social at all times. So when we like something, it's not just that we're engaging in this communication with that brand. Um, we're also telling our friends and we're telling the public what is important to us and what we like. I mean, that's as
0: a a person that um, I use my Facebook page for my coaching business and I have a really loyal fan base that I and I can see, you know, uh, money being made on my Facebook page because of the loyalty of my customers. Like, I'd be frustrated if I wanted to market to Bill's fans. And then I had a lot of the people I was marketing to really were actually Patriot fans that just are haters
3: of Bill's. Fans. Right. And that's sort of the joy and the wonder and the horror of social media for marketers is that in a lot of ways we can start a conversation, but we don't control the conversation as marketers. Mm. Um, you know, the, so there may be a post, uh, a fantastic example is a few years back on Twitter, not Facebook, but on Twitter, the LAPD wanted to have a hashtag of um, p- posting pictures of LAPD cops doing wonderful heroic things and in service. So they started this trend. However, the pictures that were posted, as you can imagine, were not necessarily flattering. So there is an example of uh, a campaign that was started with a good intention, but yet when the users and the the actual people providing the content to social media got a hold of that, they turned it into something completely different. Mm. So... That's why a lot of times marketers do have a hard time understanding uh, social media.
0: And, and so the marketing side is kind of one angle of it. The personal side, just as a personal user, right. it, just because I like something, too, it doesn't mean, I, I guess, that I have loyalty to that product. Um, it doesn't mean that I, that I even want to receive a lot of information about that product.
3: Sure. Let me. I'll give you a couple of examples from brands that I like. And I would encourage um, the listeners as well to, to maybe go through their Facebook page and look at all the brands that they've liked in the history of Facebook. Because I did that this morning, and I was sort of horrified. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> because yeah, it, it is, It's scary. Like, when did I mark that?
0: Right. Yeah, at, at what that. point
3: did I – because it, it, with a Facebook, when you like something, you're really opting in to getting promotional messages from that brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at some point, I won't go through some of my more embarrassing <laughs> ones, but again, it's, it's interesting. But I already mentioned the, the Buffalo Bills. So in a reason, I like this because it's a part of me. I really want to express to my friends and to the public that this is who I am. However, I also like a local food truck. Um, and I, I like that brand because I want to get information from them. They can tell me where they're going to be. Hmm. Also... I like Starbucks. There may be a lot of people out there that yeah. like Starbucks. And I like them simply because I got bonus points on my Starbucks app. That was the only reason. <laughs> so I'm getting stuff in return, information and bonus points for my like. But I'm also getting social recognition. I'm also getting a, an increased sense of being able to express myself. So not all likes are created equal in any sense of the imagination.
4: And it's,
0: it's uh, I think, an important thing to note that when you make – when you choose to like something – it's uh, it's noted by Facebook and they're they're monopolizing or they're, they're monetizing it. Right. They're Absolutely. turning it and you and I can't remember how to do it. Terry helped me do it where you go into your you can go onto your Web page or on your Facebook page and dig a few levels deep and find out everything you've ever liked. And um, you will then see how Facebook sees you like it saw you me did. as a conservative um, even though I honestly don 't remember when I had hit certain sites, it had to have been eight years ago or whatever and and then um but it, it literally has this incredible profile of you, which is why magically these things keep appearing on your page i Absolutely. mean a lot of people don 't think that they 're like "I just am so glad that Starbucks keeps marketing to me, and that food right. <laughs> truck keeps coming back and we may not necessarily see that we are We've tied ourselves to a brand, and we don't even know why we have sometimes.
3: Yeah, there could be a lot of reasons. could be social pressure. Facebook does a good job of that now where it'll say, um, your friends and your family like this particular brand. Don't you think you should like them as well? <laughs> so in a sense, it's it's getting you to like that. But Facebook is an amazing tool, so we can go on there, and we're able to connect with all of our friends and family. And it doesn't cost us a dime and the reason, just like you were saying, is because we are the product of Facebook, right? Facebook is an advertising company. Right. So it's it's not just a matter of that we do all of this and Facebook gets nothing out of it. Facebook knows a lot uh, about who we are, what we like, what we don't like, who we communicate with, when we communicate with them, and how we communicate. Is, is so, there a way we can
0: lead this better instead of, um, you know, having Facebook, you know, trick us into this or the users of Facebook tricking us into certain likes or guilting us or shaming us into stuff. What 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 can we do to, to manage it better?
3: I would say just like how you did uh, and how I did this morning, going through and sort of looking at my likes, looking at the things that I have interacted with on Facebook, and then getting a sense of, based off of this, what does Facebook think of me? What kind of person are they seeing? Is it is it something that's important to me, or is it um, a completely you know warped view? Mm. Is somebody, by, are they, this this is ahead. about our identity, right? Oh, very much so. I mean, like again, Facebook is social and Facebook is is, is public. So, um, whatever you're putting on there is going to be is going to be used by Facebook. Um, so we're not usually used to in day to day social interaction having those conversations not only monitored for their content but also having advertisements or promotional messages if you and i are just having a regular conversation starbucks isn't saying hey try the new pumpkin spice latte during the middle of that Mm. so it's it's sort of this it's a new medium um and and marketers and and i I think as we're talking about here consumers haven't quite figured out their level of comfort with it
0: does the the and I, i think what's funny is in a way we as the consumer seem more passively participating and the the corporations the brands are more actively engaging this so we're probably more likely to be led into this like like you were led into getting starbucks points simply because you you got points i mean the only reason you if you hit like you get more points which could eventually lead to a free beverage exactly and the rest of your life now you're receiving marketing based on that
3: and the social aspect of it is very important, you know, especially with the students that I deal with. In fact, part of the reason I, I even wanted to do this with my, my co-author, Alicia, um, we were talking to one of her classes, and they were commenting that the brands they like on Facebook are not brands that they ever purchase, and that to me seemed... So strange, I, I just couldn't relate to that, but they said they like a lot of luxury brands or they like a lot of high-end brands because that helps shape their sort of ideal social identity on Facebook.
0: interesting so these uh, so then a Mercedes picture pops up, and yeah. it's somebody that will never be buying a Mercedes, but it's part of their dream, it's part of their desire, their exactly. identity.
3: Exactly. And that's a big part of that's a big part of marketing as well. You know, and if, and if I'm on Facebook and that's I want to be known as a Mercedes person and all of a sudden I start getting Mercedes ads, then that could be a, a very positive thing for me. You know, mm. Facebook and my friends see me this way. And for these <laughs> teens and young adults, that's a, an extremely powerful tool. It's so amazing. I mean, uh, yeah,
0: like some I'm I'm looking at Bentley Facebook pages. So now everyone right. thinks I have a Bentley or I want a Bentley, right. and I'm exactly, thinking, yeah. okay, no. I told my wife last night I want a Learjet, and she's right. just like, oh, "Well, there you go. Where would you park it? <laughs> uh, I don't know.
3: Um, it, it's if you can a lear Learjet. <laughs> you don't need to worry about where you can park it. It's
0: exactly, Well, that's the problem. I can't afford one, but it's it's on my Facebook page. Um, right. Another interesting thing that that comes up, it seems like, is like as you're talking about socializing and the social side of this. Uh, like social movements, Black Lives Matter, Blue right. Lives Matter. Um, you you make one or two, I mean, and you can feel impassioned about, uh, you know, a, a clip you saw of someone being treated improperly. And the next thing you know, you're part of a movement, not even knowing you're part of a movement. You just keep getting been, the feed.
3: Yeah. And there's been some some criticism of that because – as we're sitting here and we're talking about what a like means to a brand and what a like means to a consumer, um, m- very important you know, social movements such as that, if, if I simply like something, that's a very passive way to engage in that. There's mm. some criticism saying that um, just by liking that doesn't mean that I'm contributing to that. Right? So if right. I may like a, some sort of breast cancer awareness. Um, but yet believe that that's actually doing something for that cause other than giving somebody a number or letting Facebook or somebody know that I'm interested in that. That would uh, uh, prevent me from actually giving money or time to that particular cause.
0: Interesting. It takes place of true activism uh, and getting out and fighting for the cause because I liked it on Facebook. Exactly. exactly. Wow. It's it's yeah. it's almost – yeah, it's a counterfeit to real involvement.
3: Right, exactly. You know, and just like we're saying, all likes are not created equal. Some no. can be passive, some can be aggressive. You know, especially for those types of of movements. You know, as opposed to actually getting out and doing something, I'll just like it on Facebook.
0: Well, and it's funny because you feel like you're actively involved because you see it three times a day.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I have already liked that.
4: Yeah. You
3: know? <laughs> and in I, fact, even with some of our responses that we had for the brands, it's this term "like" is is very funny again because it it. it insinuates there's a positive attitude but in some ways it's it's really a, a passive acknowledgement that i've read it and and i acknowledge what you've said but i don't necessarily want to comment or repost it or uh-huh. anything like that it's 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 a very passive type of communication
0: oh i've seen it and cuz i've seen other people telling me all the time yeah you can't make money on facebook because the your likes aren't very valuable and i see it very different but mine came kind of more Naturally, just people naturally wanting to be a part of what I was talking about, and but it all depends, really, and, and I guess some of that because you can buy you, people are out buying likes, right? Yeah, I mean, you, these companies yeah, are exactly. aggregating
3: them, like we talked about the Starbucks. That's really a bot like. Yeah, uh, I'm trading that for bonus points. A lot of sweepstakes entries. If you like us on Facebook, you can get an entry into our sweepstakes. Um, that would be different from, as you're describing your fans, those, those are much more passionate. You probably mm. have much more of a, a you know, two-way interaction, yeah, which is the joint social media, right? You guys can communicate in real time.
0: And sometimes I, I guess it's, just, it's just the social exchange you're talking about, too, where, look, you, you let us market to you. We'll keep sending you coupons.
3: Exactly. exactly. So it's it's
0: a win win, but it doesn't. But like you're saying, that doesn't mean loyalty. That no. just means, you know.
3: And what's the difference between that and and a, and a say I subscribe to an email list right. or right. something like that? I, that's just old. That's old school marketing. That's that's really just sort of a a one way, one to many type of communication. The mm. joy of social media is I can communicate and see feedback from my customers in real time. Yeah. In order for me to do that, I have to understand that I can't just, as you were saying, quantify the number of likes and assume that, for instance, on this Buffalo Bills page, there's 800,000 likes. I can't assume that I have 800,000 engaged customers that want to communicate with me, mm-hmm. because there's different reasons for liking that brand on Facebook.
0: No, oh, it's interesting stuff. Let's take a break, Mark. We're speaking with Mark Pelletier. He is uh, he's walking us through some of his research on Facebook and likes. He is an assistant professor of marketing at Radford University and currently resides in Christianburg, Virginia. We'll get into it, folks. Uh, We're talking marketing, likes, and uh, loyalty on Facebook. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. If you've been on Facebook and you hit the, the little like button, the thumbs up button, then you're part of the great conspiracy of marketing. No, you're part of the social network, right? And when you are a part of liking something on Facebook, then it uh, it makes you a member of a community, right? Then you can get all the great benefits of certain brands, and joining us today is Dr. Mark Pelletier. He is an assistant professor of marketing at Radford University, currently resides in Christianburg, Virginia. And before his career in academia, he had a lengthy uh, career as a practitioner working in sales as a general manager for Cashman Photo Enterprise in Las Vegas. So he takes his uh, interest in experimental marketing and professional selling, and uh, bada-boom, bada-bing, he now works in social network communication and is teaching us about his uh, his learnings there. Dr. Pelletier, thank you so much for being with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. When um, When I go and I click like... Uh, for whatever reason, and then the brands that are trying to get me to to you know be a part of their community to get and you want to market me at deeper and deeper levels. How do the brands sort out if I am loyal, if I'm just greedy,
3: if or why I'm with them? Uh, that's very hard to, to to say. It could be many different ways as far as can they aggregate why? What was your psychological reasoning for liking that brand? Um, unless they insinuated it via, you know, something like Starbucks giving you a reward, it's really hard for them to know. Hmm. They can look at your overall social profile from Facebook and try to get a picture of of who you are and maybe try to figure that out. Um, but outside of that, it's it's just simply a button. They they do more quantification, just sort of how many likes do I have, than the ability to know why you liked that brand in the first place. Mm. So I mean,
0: in a way. There's a lot. There's a lot of future innovation that needs to take place because the value of the lead uh, only goes up. Right, the more qualified it becomes.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and part of the problem that they're facing is like we talked about in the previous segment was customers don't necessarily like this. Uh, like like right. marketers knowing everything about them. There's there's a sense that maybe they they. Uh, know a little bit too much. So I can't qualify unless I have the proper kind of information. Um, Ooh, that's – it is. It's going to start –
0: do you sense a future battle between privacy? um, Because Facebook's been able to just take advantage of it forever, but eventually – and capitalize on it in major ways. But it seems like more and more the battle of privacy is
3: going to come up. I think it will come up. I think it will come up with older – Facebook users of which there are more and more um, facebook is is less popular with students now than it ever has been, but I think with older consumers it 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 will become a problem as people are more aware of everything that is known about them as people are more aware that when I do interact every interaction I have on Facebook is measured and used uh, for advertising and and promotional purposes by Facebook, and and they're doing very well with that. However, I think with younger consumers, I think with, um, for instance, like my students, I don't think that they even give privacy too too much of a concern at all. Isn't
0: that amazing? Yeah, I guess they've never had, yeah, it's just always been part of their life. These were the kids that we were shooting videos of everything they did.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and they, this is how they communicate. It, it, it would be like saying, I want to take your social interaction away from you. And that's just not going to be an option. You know, uh, mm. these, these sites and this way of communication is, is extremely popular and extremely um, well used. So yes, I believe there will be privacy concerns and I believe that they're valid. Um, I just don't know if it's going to be enough to keep people away. People are on Facebook, on social networks, and they do—they love them and enjoy
0: them. See, I—I so got mad, Mark. I was mad at Facebook. Facebook. I'm going to be honest with you, um, because I was aggregating this fa- this great kind of fan page, had an incredible relationship with them. I thought the exchange was—I keep bringing other eyes that they can market to, mm-hmm. and um, by be- by me bringing good content. So I thought that was that was our deal. I bring the content, aggregate a database, and they can market to it. But what I didn't realize is um, they could also take it away from me and right. start. So then, then they started throttling how many of my people I could reach with my own message. Wow. And, I had to start, and so I had to start paying for if I wanted to reach my whole group, I had to pay more. And have you noticed that? So, like, so, I mean, I can send a message to my 45,000 people, but it's not going to necessarily get to everyone. And, um, and I noticed that, but if I want it to make sure I get it to everyone, then I can just pay more.
3: Wow. Yeah, so pay. That's interesting. And so they're, they're making money not only off of the information that they're gathering yeah. from your listeners, but also from you trying to reach uh, those listeners. My own people. And but these are yeah. my I aggregated these people.
0: Right. I I worked for these and um, and then they, they were able to throttle that list. So as a businessman, I started thinking, hmm, maybe this isn't quite worth it, because at what point can I never get back to my own list? you know yeah. what i mean and without continually paying facebook uh, meanwhile they're still marketing other people to my list right right so it's uh i think it's a weird experiment but again the companies keep paying for it and i can see where i make money on it do you sense um is facebook is are they the giant are they the 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 number one money-making social media site absolutely. That, that they know yeah. how to do it i yeah. guess and
3: yeah absolutely but but think about it too so if it's a social networking site, and, and I want to go on there to, to talk to friends, even though we could, we could have a whole other segment about what really are Facebook friends, right. but talk to my friends and, and my family and, and people that I know and express my opinions and my concerns and go on there and brag about things that I'm eating or places that I've been. <laughs> That's really only valuable if Facebook has those people on that network, right? right. So Facebook's value is going to be, the amount of people, the quality and the the amount of people that, that I know on that network. Yeah, that's true. So, huh? Yeah, so as they make it more difficult for, for you to communicate, they're going to it, it just makes sense for their business model, oh, that's try right. to keep and get as many new people as they can. That's why whenever there's this um, thing that goes around that Facebook is going to start charging. No, they're not. They don't want to start charging because yeah. they want to have as many people as they possibly can on there.
0: Well, and so what will happen, it, I guess that's what will happen. So a guy like me will not spend money on Facebook, um, right. which if enough of us did that, then the markets would demand, they'd change their policies, they'd throttle less, everyone would get back on, all the businesses and brands would get back on. And it was it's just
2: market forces.
3: Yeah, exactly. And and, and, that, and that's even taken place. I mean, um, GM, a couple of years ago, decided that they were going to still have an active Facebook account, but stop advertising on Facebook. So they were going to try to still engage with their customers. But on Facebook, you have a, a, some advertisements on the side of your page. Right. They were going to stop doing that. They didn't have enough return on investment for that. See, that's so good. It, it's even sort of how do we... Um, figure this out. Like we said, we're not used to having advertisement, promotional messages in our social conversations. <laughs> so, right. as, as interesting as it may be for for us, uh, marketers are still trying to kind of figure out where does that play? How do I fit into that? Is What advice
0: would you give as we wrap this up to the just the end user? Like, I look at my wife, who is a Facebook expert. She's the one that's helped build my page, and right. I think... Um, but because I mean, now you can you can do everything on Facebook. You can have it be your news aggregator. You can have it be everything. Is there anything that would empower the face the end user more um, when it comes to their brand selection and just their choice of likes and dislikes?
3: I would say just knowledge. Understand what Facebook is, the business model that it has, the role that you as a consumer play in, in really being the, the the product of Facebook. That it is an advertising company. If you enjoy and you get a lot out of the social interaction and and the communication on Facebook, then keep doing it and enjoy it. Don't stress out too much about it, but be knowledgeable of what you're telling Facebook and what you're telling advertisers about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Buyer beware and and get in and read the fine
0: print just so you can see where you fit in the the hierarchy. Mark Pelletier, thank you so much. Great work there. Keep up your great uh, work at Radford University as well. And everybody, you can go look for his. Article uh, on conversation uh, The Conversation. Here's what happens when you like a brand on Facebook. Stick with us, helping you uh, live healthier, happier social media lives right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
2: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends.
0: This is the music. Of uh, <laughs> this is your this is your new music for Heather Ann Johnson, Hedge we call her. She's America's top family coach. Hedge, you're soaking in it. Thanks, Heather Ann Johnson, for being here. Heather is a uh, she is a coach extraordinaire, a faculty member here at Brigham Young University, where she teaches. Families, how to be healthier and how to be happier. She has a website, familyvolley.com. Now, you were you wanted to talk about the fact that we may be messing our kids up.
1: Yes, again. We
0: overload them. We give them all of these these roles they have to play. They've got to be killer students. They've got to be top of everything, sports, athletes, musicians, yep, we do. until their head blows.
1: It's exactly right. We, it, we call it activity overload. And it's a very real thing. We've got our kids in so many things nowadays. We expect them to just do everything.
0: Yeah. Very young. Why? Why are we so stressed that – do we just think it's all got to be – if we blow it and mess these kids up by not having them do enough, then they're going to what? Just stay home and live with us forever?
1: (laughs) Or heaven forbid, play.
0: Yeah. Have a life. Relax,
1: think a little bit. Be a child. Yeah, be a kid. Well – there's a lot of – there could be a lot of different reasons, but really that's where we have to start in evaluating why we actually do it. There's a lot of pressure from society that says if your kids aren't involved in a multitude of things, they're not cool kids. They're just not doing enough. They're not right. reaching their potential. And then there's always also that thought where it comes back to us where we're better parents the more things our children are involved in, right, which is so sad. Why is there this stigma that you know if I'm able to say, yeah, my kid swims and plays the saxophone and does this and does this and does this – that that makes me a better mom. Right. And it doesn't. And so the first thing we really want to do when we're thinking about if our children need to be involved in a lot of things, we need to take a step back and really evaluate the motives for why we're doing it. And oftentimes we'll find that we're doing it more for ourselves mm-hmm. than actually we are for them. Right. right. Even even that thought, you know, you hear it all the time. Men tend to to follow this path a little bit more where it's an unfulfilled dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, man, I, I was so close to that dream in college. <laughs> I just, I've got to get my kids. Somebody's got to get there for right. me. And so we push and we push and we push. A lot of that push, too, leads to what we call specialization. And specialization refers to encouraging, forcing, however you want to look at it, our children to choose one activity, choose it very, very young, and that's their activity till death. Just stick you know? to it. Right. And, and we've heard it uh, referred to, too, as the 10,000-hour rule, right. right, where a child has to have 10,000 hours in something. And if they don't, they can't become a professional. And so we mm. want our kids to be those things and be successful. And so, you know, to hit 10,000 hours, we start when they're two and it's, you know, we're just, we're just making them choose and and we're keeping them there.
0: What does a five-year-old know about what they want?
1: They don't.
0: It seems like you need 10,000 choices, not 10,000 right. hours.
1: <laughs> right. It's exactly right. And so we want to take a step back and just really, really soul search and decide why in the world am I pushing this? Why am I so actively engaged in in encouraging you to be in a million different things instead of letting them actually play and be kids yeah. and, and evaluate that? That's great.
0: I mean I, I, mean, I guess that's the key is – so we, we don't want to over – load them and we also don't want to you know
1: specialize them very not young not young and we'll get to that to where the time is right we want to make sure we hit this lastly and those are these are some guidelines for us when it comes to what our kids should be involved in and i always suggest that you let age be your guide so here's what this looks like children need no more than the number of hours per age per week So to explain that, if you have a four-year-old, they don't need any more than four hours of structured activity a week, therefore. Mm. An eight-year-old, eight hours of structured activity a week. The rest should be play. And so if you break that down, children under 12 essentially need 80% of their time, their free time. We're not talking about school, right? 80% of that leftover time should be spent in pure play.
5: Plays where they
1: discover, where they create, where they cooperate, where they fight and figure it out, where they figure out what their physical abilities are. So 80% in unstructured, 20% in structured. 13 to 15-year-olds, the recommendation switches to a 50-50 split, 50% in structured, 50% in unstructured activities. And it isn't until our kids hit 16 that we suggest they start to choose a specialization where they spend mm. 80% of their time focused on one single thing.
4: That's great. And isn't
1: it interesting that 80% yes goes to structured activities, but there's still that 20 that is highly suggested they play.
4: Just relax. Just
1: relax and play. Uh, they also suggest that pickup games, things like that, you know, randomly playing your instrument, that can do more than the structure Absolutely. lesson to where it's, you know, they just grab some kids from the neighborhood. And they play basketball. Let it be unstructured. Let mm-hmm. it be by choice with the fun behind it. So those are some really solid That's guidelines. Great. Look at your children. Look at their age. See where they fall. And then see how close you can get to those splits. And you will watch your family in a million ways settle yeah. to this very comfortable place where you start to grow together as a family opposed to feeling like you are just in a rat race oh. to grow these you know, superhumans that, to be honest – very few of us have kids who actually get to no. the professional they level. They just who get
0: well, and, and honestly, yeah, it's just not going to happen. And then even when they do, it's three years,
1: right? It's different, and
0: then they still have to go sell insurance,
1: right? And remember, the key here should be to focus on what creates successful families. Specialization and over, you know, overworking our kids that does not show links to successful children. Mm. What does show links to successful children? Are families who eat dinner together, children who are taught to work, children who are taught to manage and maintain their emotions. That runs the gamut That's every it. time we look at kids, right? Uh, developing huge. relationships with them, teaching them a growth mindset that they can work hard. Those things are always linked to successful kids. And allowing not failure. Overload. It's exactly right, which comes with that growth mindset, this idea that you can fail and it's not doomsday. You can work harder, refocus and succeed. So if you want to know where to focus, instead of so much the activity overload, focus on what we do know creates successful children. Put Mm. your energy there.
0: Is there a recommendation for 46-year-old men and the balance (laughs) of fun and – Organized, structured yes, activities. Yes,
1: I, th- I think you, in your life you, you have too much structured and not enough fun. I totally agree.
0: <laughs> Will you write a note to my wife? Sure, I can. We need more, less structure.
1: <laughs> I'll sign it at the bottom. Yeah. She'll be like, yeah, I don't even care about this. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
4: Whatever.
0: Heather Johnson, thank you so much. You can find out more at uh, familyvolley.com. Go check out that website and all of the other great uh, insight that she has. You're soaking in it, folks. She's the bomb. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
2: You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show.
4: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies.
4: Your
2: guide on the side.
0: I would suggest you forge more character. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
4: Dr. Matt Townsend.
0: Hey, uh, whether you get... Like, understand what we, uh, what we were just talking about with emotional, um, build, oh, what's it called emotional brain therapy. Whether that's the way you want to go, you, at some point, you need to focus on your emotions. I'm a big believer that all issues, all relationship issues, all life issues, really, are emotional management issues. Life is great when you're feeling great, right? Is life great when you feel horrible? No, it's the emotion that makes it great or not. Well, no, it's really what's going on. But you've probably had situations where you were at a higher state emotionally, a healthier state emotionally, and still going through difficult stuff. The difficult stuff in life will not go away. Your ability to manage the emotion, it's important. And we just manifested that with uh, Dr. Laurel Mellon. Going through those questions really are Pretty powerful simply because do you notice it makes you almost find your shame? It almost makes you, it made me look at my guilt. It made me dig deeper into what I am doing and what I'm not doing with my own life. Those thoughts that she was processing me through create a lot of my emotional stress. So, the the greatest value of what I think I just saw with uh, Dr. Mellon's work is that it gives me—I took a space, and in that space, I went and started to make change. When we make change and we make space and we focus on our emotions and our feelings, something's going to change. Something's going to happen, and uh, the problem is most of us don't ever make the time to do that. So make sure you take time to look at your emotions. You are not your emotion. If you're mad, you're not mad. You're still yourself. You gotta go put your madness in space, right? Do something about it. little coach's corner for you. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend show. We got you, you got these beautiful little kids. you know, you put them in their football gear for the first time. Their helmet spins around their little head. They feel like a superstar. They've got the armbands, the sweat bands, even though they really won't sweat because they're hardly gonna run. And yet, you, the entire time, are you thinking about them being an NFL quarterback? Right? You've got these dreams that he's going to be like, Dad, he's going to throw the game-winning pass. And then you see him line up, the coaches line your boy up next to everyone else. And just to have a little, you know, a little workout. Everybody run to the fence and as they all run to the fence you notice your boy doesn't run as fast as the others even the heavy linemen are outrunning your boy you feel this anger start to just a little just a little fire brewing deep in your head what is he doing run boy run you start pushing your kid He's never going to be a quarterback if he cannot run the line. Day one, and I've seen it with all of my kids. Oh man, we raised some beautiful boys that love sports. We got involved in the football league. It was so wonderful, year after year, spending five hundred plus dollars a year to play football. Now I'm down to three boys that could play, and uh, my wife so diligently dedicated some time, has given time to be on the committee for the football league this year. She's volunteering her time to the football league, and my 11-year-old and 13-year-old boys don't want to play anymore. They want to play lacrosse and tennis. Ah, oh, come on. No, I really don't like it, Dad. Ah, sure you do. Ah, don't really like it. No, come on. At what point do you dig deep into the hearts of your children and let them be them? As a parent, it's a hard thing because sometimes you think they don't know what's right. I mean, this was the same kid that was trying to microwave the metal bowl. So if you don't know how to what to microwave, son, maybe you don't know what sport you want to play this year. What do you do? You watch the Olympics. You dream of your son being at the Olympics or whatever, or being the best piano player, being the best, uh, you know, being elected in in an office at school. How on earth do you get to the point where you can just love them for who they are? I think in the end, um, this is always going to be more about you than it will be them. When you just look at the odds of them going pro, it's not, those aren't great odds. But the principles they can learn in these sports, the principles they can learn about themselves, it's a powerful thing. So will you just look at how you are watching the Olympics? Look at how you're talking about the Olympics with your kids. See if it's all about competition. See if it's about trying, are you putting an undue stress on your child? Are you being real clear, really clear with them on what you really want out of sports? If it's not if it's not that they have to be the best athlete, what is it that you want them to become? Are your children clear of that? If they're not clear, guess what? Then the value of sports, it's probably not being learned. Uh, we had a friend whose father very much wanted them to be a top athlete. And uh, most talented kid I've ever seen playing a sport that uh, my son was on his team, and he was just incredible. And his junior year, when he was right about to just blossom, all the scouts were coming to see him. He quit. He's done. Doesn't want to do it anymore. It's not fun anymore. And really what I think it was was the voice of a teenage boy coming out, controlling something he could control, and uh, basically pushing back on his father. So watch out what what you're creating. And, and instead, when you're sitting down watching the Olympics, let's all try to realize this is great for America. The, you know, they're doing well. The teams are incredible. And this is more than that. This is also seeing the refugees that are also competing, the ones that weren't competing. You know, a year ago, they were pushing a boat full of their family members to save lives, and now they're running a race. And they actually didn't win, right? But they won. They're in the Olympics. They won the refugee lotto. And uh, those stories are really powerful and important. So make sure that you're not always just moving to the medals list with your kids and in their lives. Don't always just move to the medals list. Make sure you're learning the backstories, especially the backstories in the second you know, round a group that that didn't make it to the finals. There's some amazing stories of people and the principles. Talk principles, and I think th- then you're creating something powerful, folks. Man, the kids they're very they're very willing to learn and open to uh, to to have opportunity from the parents. So you're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. As a parent, you you're trying to truly change your children uh, long-term, always think long-term as we're talking about these issues with Heather. I I could just tell somebody to vote for Trump or Hillary anytime, right? We could just go right there, right to the answer, hand it to our kids. The problem is um, you want them to have the skills and the tools to be able to do this long-term. And in the end, if we're not setting up the long-term game for them, we're hindering them. Sometimes the easy, fast answers haven't fixed anything they in fact have just made a few things worse some other tools i always suggest uh, when we're trying to talk uh, about any problem solving issue with with another person make sure that you you push your kids and anybody to spend more time trying to understand the issue thank you one of the things i found is that we don't know the issues well enough and so when a politician can throw something out there and nobody questions it. The media might question it. They might even give it five Pinocchios or whatever. But in the end, um, most of the, the, the voters don't have a clue that they're full of it. They don't have a clue about what's going on because they haven't studied these issues out. A lot of people are so partisan and they just vote down the party line that they're not actually informed about what's going on. What really is happening with jobs, right? When the when the um, Obama administration tells you that they put 20 million people on, um, you know, on the healthcare that weren't on it before, that just sounds like a great number, right? It's awesome. And what's happening to the other 80 percent of people that were on healthcare? What's happened to theirs? Do you know? Because it's more than just one issue. There's ten issues going on here. Has costs gone up for people? I mean, you hear that thrown around. Is that true? Is that an actual fact? So anyway, broaden your own pool of understanding. Make sure just as a listener or as a voter yourself that you avoid being overly simplistic, sensational, or even sensitive. Thank you. We have so many people that are just so sensitive to what others are saying that uh, it starts fights. It starts – I listen to a – Out, You know, all these outtakes that came from the Trump camp, all the outtakes that came from um, some of the Clinton camps, and you're sitting there thinking, are these adults presenting, you know, political arguments, or are they just highly sensitive people freaking out on each other? Another rule about, I think, politics in general, you don't need to pile on. (laughs) Ben loves a good pile on. Um, You don't need to pile on to somebody. A lot of times when people make mistakes or say something stupid, it's obvious to pile on only makes you look like a bully. And again, that's what I want to teach my kids because when they're having an issue in their world, I don't want my child to be the one jumping on the one that's already down. Make sense? That's why uh, Heather's advice on working on the principles and the values are so much more important than positions. Positions are going to change. Principles and values, they're eternal. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend show. To be a leader, You have to be able to manage your emotion. You have to be able to recognize your own emotions uh, and manage them so that, that your emotional outbursts, your emotional, your fears, your concerns aren't leading you. You also have to have the ability to recognize the emotions of others and know how to lower those emotions, not make them worse. And finally, I've got to find a way to enroll people into my emotion. It's called emotional intelligence. And as we see people that aren't trusting of our political leaders, it might simply be part of the reason we don't trust. We trust people that we believe have emotional intelligence, that they're not going to fly off the handle. I think of it as like a Coke bottle. If I shake a Coke bottle um, or, by, by the way, Diet Pepsi, whatever you have you, uh, if I shake it and create a – I'll create a reaction – but if I hand you the bottle and you know I just shook it, you're not going to want to open it. You're not going to trust the explosion that's going to take place. So if you're out there and you feel like people don't listen to you, they don't necessarily trust you, they stay away from you at certain times, it might be that they're sensing that you aren't safe. You're not a safe person because you can't control how you respond in certain in certain cases. And it's not something that you can just intellectualize. There's a gut reaction that people have to to unsafe people. And it goes back to the days that we had to live, you know, as a tribe. And if somebody was a loose cannon in the tribe, they by the way, more likely to create problems, more likely to end up dying, and more likely to being kicked out of the tribe. So emotionally intelligent people... It's a huge advantage. It is something we should be teaching our kids, but don't just pass it down to the kids. First, look at yourself. Do people trust you and your ability to manage emotion? And it might be a good thing, too, that you look at your political candidates. Do they possess emotional intelligence? And and is that one of the reasons why you trust them or you don't trust them? It's not going away, folks. It's part of who we are, and it's actually a huge driver of success. Go check us out on iTunes and tune in. Go find our BYU Radio app. Download that so you can get back to all of our podcasts, hundreds of them, uh, for you to archive and, and to go listen to. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you a fan of the movies? If so, uh, do you like Tom Hanks? Do you like Steve Martin, Emma Watson, Audrey Hepburn? In a world of business, do you believe that Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg have been quite successful? How about Abraham Lincoln when it comes to politicians? Was he one of our best presidents? All of these influential and memorable people have one thing in common. They are all introverts. So if introverts can do and become such amazing people, why do we talk about them as if they're a germ that doesn't belong in the office? Joining us is Ray Bixler. He's CEO of Skills uh, Survey and is here with us this morning to talk about an article he wrote about hiring introverts and why you got to be careful why you should hire an introvert now. Ray Bixler, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Matt, good morning. Uh, you're welcome, and, and thank you for having me.
0: You bet. What a fun um, article. As a, I am, a, and no one believes this about me, but I'm an introvert. That's I guess socially skilled. Everyone thinks I'm I'm outgoing and I'm I'm extroverted. But honestly, I'm a true blue introvert. And it is we in a weird way. We're seen many times as. I guess because I can fake it, but others are seen as just this anomaly, these strange people, because they're not always around the water cooler, they're not as social as everyone
2: else. Yeah, no, Matt, I I think I'm uh, in in, in the same category that you just described yourself. Uh, I, I know that people have told me how social I appear. and. Uh, I think uh, that comes from the fact that when I'm talking to somebody in a one-on-one situation, I can I can be very engaged. But at the end of the day, uh, networking is not my thing. I don't like to walk into a, a large party where I don't know many people. I'll search out for the person I know, uh, and, and and yet it still comes across as social.
4: Mm. Uh,
2: but like but like you, I, I I tend to be more introverted. Uh, would prefer gardening or a good book read.
0: And, and and I guess the way we kind of know introvert versus extrovert and now there's ambivert where somebody's both things and um but I guess it's it's how you get your energy. Isn't that the best description? Do you get your energy by being with people or do you get your energy by being away and alone?
2: Well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? So uh I, I, I would say probably the latter first. I get yeah. my energy where I am. I'm I'm uh, recharging the batteries. Uh You know, need my downtime, no matter what it might be. Even spending time with my family uh, does recharge the batteries uh, for me. And then it gives me the opportunity to, in fact, use that energy that I've been conserving over a period of time. Sometimes it can just be an hour, right, uh, where I just have a little bit of alone time in an office with the door closed and then yeah. open it back up and, and re-engage in a way that people would perceive as highly energetic and highly social. Do you as
0: – as an introvert and in this business world um, – I mean there was a the great book that came out called uh, Quiet – and that book talked about at Harvard a lot of just the admission processes to get students into Harvard's MBA program were very extrovert oriented. They were oriented on people being able to socialize, work in teams, and and all of this, you know, um, kind of outwardly focused uh, systems. Is is that a big issue in HR and in in uh, in corporate America that we tend to be looking more for extroverts than we are introverts?
2: Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I read the same book, and, and it really resonated with me, and, and obviously, probably with you too, because I found myself—I would say I'm probably more that extrovert uh, than, than introvert. But, but you know, if you if you actually only hire extroverts, which which are people that tend to look really good when you're interviewing them, right? They have the firm handshake, right. not the sweaty palm. Uh, the eye contact is solid, right at you. Uh, they're answering questions in a very enthusiastic way. If you only hire extroverts, and you think about those team meetings that Harvard was talking about, uh, everyone's talking, and, and uh, everyone's got an opinion that they're willing to share because they're confident or think think they are. And, and so no one's being quiet or being thoughtful. Uh, it's just a lot of noise in mm-hmm. the room. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, those opinions might be uh, forced uh, in in the situation where a very thoughtful, maybe more introverted kind of person uh, just, just doesn't speak up.
0: It's so true. It's um, I mean, I guess that's the that's the point. There's some myths about introverts that we we probably need to blow up. What are some of the other myths that we see? I mean, when you see that Bill Gates, I mean, he seems I mean, almost the introvert is like the the, the nerd, the geek that just sits there quietly, you know, quivering and um, quaking. I That's just not the case.
2: Uh, that's right. You, again, going back to that the, uh, the team meeting I just uh, emphasized, if, if the same team meets every week and, and for the most part it's nothing but extroverts or maybe there's one or two introverts in the room, uh, people who just don't feel as confident to express their opinions or just don't know how to get uh, involved in a very noisy, opinionated environment, they may be perceived as well, disengaged, right? Uh, their eyes may revert to the floor or to the table versus looking around the room, which then leads people to go, geez, they're just not involved. They just don't care. They're just uh, not confident and and, uh, and therefore probably even further removed from uh, the people that they associate with every day. And Um, And that's just not appropriate, and we have to really rethink this.
4: Mm.
0: Is it – because they – in that – in the book Quiet, one of the things that was mentioned is that maybe the fact is we – the reason we need both is when when the economy tanked, A lot of the big advocates were probably more extroverted, verbal people that were pushing for certain rules and regulations, and yet, meanwhile, some of the quiet people may have known the numbers aren't adding up, and it's going to impact our economy. I guess what has to happen is we need to make sure we're hiring both on our team, and then we have to make sure we're hearing from
4: both.
2: Uh, That's correct. I I think you're right about the financial crisis uh, uh, and what occurred there. Uh, you know, you think about teams that are only led by extroverts, uh, they'll do things very quickly, they're very urgent, uh, and, and yet they won't go through all of the progressions necessary uh, before making a decision. Have you looked at it from different angles, from, uh, from different perspectives? Slow down for a moment. I mean, at the end of the day, while we are in this ever uh, increasingly uh, uh, sped-up world, uh, it is uh, important to slow down, and if you don't have people on your team that you trust and that you get involved, and that's a really important part here. Get involved; um, you won't slow down, and you will make more mistakes than than had you had them involved, and and maybe uh, were a little bit more thoughtful.
0: Hmm. Is it? What is it about our culture, do you think, and especially in corporate America, that that makes hiring the extrovert so uh, s- such a such a desirable thing?
2: Well, you think about you think about things like. Facebook uh, and in YouTube and, 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 and Twitter, uh, it, it's, and think about our political season right now. I mean, we're in the middle oh, of it. Uh, yeah. it's the, it's the loudest ones that, that, uh, uh are making uh, a point that, uh, will resonate with some people. It, it might strike people as being confident. Uh, just shouting doesn't say you're confident, but the louder you shout some people take it that way. Um, you know, people, uh, just you think about again. I just mentioned Facebook or Twitter. Um, you know, there are people who just want to make their point repeatedly in in one of those two forums, um, and, and those that are introverted might be sitting there thinking, "Geez, I should reply, but I'm not going to because I just won't be uh, heard."
4: Right,
0: Do you, and even in the, uh, I mean, sometimes the the extrovert might be better at just selling themselves and making them appear. In a way um, what you in your article you mentioned about interviewing how we just how we even go about interviewing are are there ways to get, for example, an introvert to come out a little bit more and and be more engaged in the interview if they're if they're not normally that engaging
2: yeah you know it, it's a great question um, my 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 my, um, my thought immediately is one aspect of some organizations. Uh, interview process uh, would tend to not be favorable for introverts at all, and that would be when companies uh, do a panel interview, Mm. where they're going to have somebody walk into a team of uh, a group of four or five people who are sitting literally across from them. Uh, uh, That is not going to uh, uh, do uh, put put an introvert in in an appropriate environment where they're going to do well there. and we just went through this, uh, where now I'm questioning why I did it recently. Um, I, I know why, because I wanted a, a, a six people on the team to meet meet with the three finalists that we had for this one position, and I just thought that um, uh, it might be best for uh, the, the people to meet uh, a more efficient. in a one-on-one situations. And, yeah. Yeah, more efficient, exactly right. Uh, and uh, ultimately, now that I'm talking to you, Matt, <laughs> uh, I recognize that I probably put a couple of people in some situations. That they just weren't going to be uh, doing well in. Them.
0: Is it? It's so true, and that might be just how we do this, right? We've always done it that way. We just interview by panel, except except all of a sudden you are you you might be making it a bigger problem, especially when the job itself isn't going to be done by panel, right? Like if the guy's going to be sitting or gal are going to be sitting in their office by themselves, crunching numbers or making something happen. Um, by themselves, and then you make them do a dance publicly to determine if they're good enough for that role. Uh, It is a little backwards. I guess it's just habits we're doing.
2: Uh, No, that's right. It it speaks to, again, that everyone just has too much on their plate, too much to do. And so panels are becoming more popular now to to be more efficient and and give people more time to do their day jobs while they also need to interview. But it is not putting those introverts in the best situation possible uh, where if they were in these one-on-one inter- interviews, they probably would shine mm. and do a much better job. And so, therefore, we tend to hire more extroverts than introverts because of that.
0: And we we probably don't do a good enough job, and I know you mentioned this, about tracking down the, you know, the referrals and talking to the people in depth about what makes this person such a great employee. I should go talk to the people that have worked with him for 10 years.
2: Well, that's right. Uh, You know, we have uh, a couple of people on our team right now who, in fact, would be right there uh, as defined as introverts. And and they've been with us for years. And yet, uh, um, you know, we we, we need to improve on the reference checking, too. That that is where the introverts do have an opportunity to shine, where, in fact, you might get feedback from a reference who who would say, and we've seen this. um, You know, we were really cautious about bringing on Joe uh, before before we decided to do so because quite frankly he just didn't shine in that interview. He was kind of awkward and shy and and yet we took a chance and 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 uh, we we are telling you, take the same chance because he really ended up being a superstar for
0: mm. us. I mean can you imagine Bill Gates in an interview in college? No. I mean he would have been just quirky and awkward or even Warren Buffett probably quirky and awkward and yet now we you know we esteem them to be these great leaders and, and innovators simply um, that would have been overlooked if we had just done it the traditional way. Let's take a break, Ray. We're speaking with Ray Bixler. Um, if you go to, to his website, skillsurvey.com, you can find out more information about uh, the many um, services and and uh, consulting uh, help that they give there. Ray Bixler is the CEO of skillsurvey.com and is the author of an article that we have uh, been picking away at why you should hire an introvert now you don't want to miss that opportunity and you may be overlooking some serious talent when you don't uh, pay attention to the introvert extrovert um, issues that go on with human lives we'll take a break come back continue the discussion with more with ray in just a minute Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do we lean too heavily on the extroverts of the world? And is maybe that why so much, so many ideas, so much talent in our organizations uh, just not being utilized? It's a, it's an interesting question proposed by Ray Bixler, who is the CEO of skillsurvey.com, uh, a great website, uh, wonderful solutions, tools, information, and help. Uh to just, I think, to help all of us understand better teams and um, and understand what's going on in the business world. Uh, thank you so much, Ray, for being with us.
2: Sure, Matt. Thank you.
0: Talk to us about um, what we can do. If, if you're an introvert and you're about to go into an interviewing situation – and to, to get a new job, you a new hire opportunity, what can we do to make sure that we take advantage of what we're best at and, and maybe get the best opportunity by being interviewed?
2: You know, uh, it's a great question and my, my sense is most introverts who of course know who they are, know that they're walking into a situation that at best is going to be uncomfortable for them, at worst could be a could be a, a really something uh, more difficult and challenging. Uh, they probably do this already, but <clears throat> You need to come prepared, even if you're an extrovert, uh, although you'll see people shooting more <laughs> from the hip and winging it right. there. The introvert uh, will, will need to come prepared, literally handwrite questions on, on, on some paper. Uh, do, do a, a deep of, of, of research on the business as you possibly can so that you are ready, prepared to ask questions of the interviewer and to address their questions as well.
0: That's I mean, that's great advice. And and I guess, too, you could even suggest, right, that, you know, um, I mean, maybe focus on that in your interview. Go in and talk about your tendency to be an introvert, but you're you're still an introvert with skills in building team in communicating. I mean, uh, one of the things I guess as a as an organization we could do is assess these these. These new recruits and and evaluate what they are are they introverted? are they ambiverts what What are their skill sets
2: uh, you can personality assessments have have uh, been around for quite some time i've gotten i 've been involved in those as well in my career and and they do do that well uh, They will tell you. Uh, if somebody is gregarious or or maybe just social, which means social sounds gregarious, but it's not. It, it literally defines somebody as much more or much better at being in a one-on-one situation than the uh, gregarious person who is the networker. And by the way, as an as an uh, like you, I mean I, I I I know I need to as CEO of a company do the networking that is mm-hmm. appropriate, and so I envy those people who can do it really well. Uh, but at the end of the day, the networker will probably leave <laughs> with thirty business cards. Uh, and know ever so little about those thirty people versus me. I'll go in there, get to know two or three people really well, and maybe even uh, develop a deeper re- uh, relationships and friendships that way. So, right. so I do envy uh, the extroverts. I'm not saying they're not
0: no, right.
2: uh, uh, good people. They I, I I love the fact that I have many on my team, and and, and uh, leverage them uh, when necessary. But you do have to have that delicate balance that is that I think is necessary for a company to succeed.
0: I agree. And you got to know yourself, right? You got to know. I mean if you know you really struggle in interviews then you you probably need to do everything you can to brush up your interviewing skills then and, and, and don't just say, don't just call yourself an introvert
2: That's correct that's correct I would be careful to say hey I'm an introvert I would right. again just be be very prepared for example it would it would make sense for as you're doing research on the business to point your uh, to put yourself in those situations that this company has probably, you know, publicly uh, demonstrated, whether it's a product, whether it's a something else around a news release, and say, here's how I could help you there as you continue to evolve the business in this way.
0: Mm. And focus on all of the strengths of introversion. So, if you don't use the phrase, I, I'm a person who thinks deeply, I'm a person whose brain doesn't stop, I'm a person who, um, even while I'm sitting there... And even while I'm driving home, I'm still thinking about the company. I like the data. The what I mean, and get into every strength that you know you possess um, that might not come out if you don't verbalize it. I guess that's the thing. When I look at an, an extrovert in an interview, I, I mean, I look at them all the time, and I my, my kids too that are a little more introverted. We all just shake our heads and we wish so badly we could just go be more out there, you know, and just put ourselves out there in a way. Um, but the, one of the things that they do is they'll just keep talking. They'll just keep. You know, Matt, te- ke- and you're like, oh, I wish I could just sell myself that well.
2: You know, that's a really great point. And yet, more and more of the articles I read of the studies and the research that that have have been uh, you know, put forth by whether it's a uh, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, or 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 uh, or other other publications, is that companies um, leaders are looking for people who think critically. They're critical thinkers. They solve problems. They, they collaborate and not yell. And, mm. and this is, these, are, these are strengths of the introverts, that they, they do need to present these in ways uh, in the interview. Uh, and certainly, once they are hired uh, throughout the course of their career within a certain company, um, they do need to get up and, and talk. But they, but uh, at the end of the day, if they, if they do come forward and, and, and help organizations and teams solve problems, they will shine.
0: Mm. And, and as a leader... You you ought to if you kind of know your people then we maybe we shouldn't leave the meeting till the quiet guy has spoken (laughs) like you know what I mean and actually redirect the conversation to him John we haven't heard from you but I know you've been thinking deeply about what we're talking about what's your take
2: you know Matt it's a a great point in fact I just literally a couple of uh, onboarding sessions ago. I will meet with all our new hires in, the, in our onboarding classes and, and spend an hour with them. I, I now mandate that everybody in the room must ask me at least one question hmm. uh, because otherwise the introverts probably won't.
0: They don't. Yeah. And I mean, and too, I, I think it's uh, it's just in your article when you listed all of the the names of Tom Hanks, Steve Martin, you know, Barbara Walters, Courtney Cox, Bill Gates, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan. Um, Barack Obama, George Bush. Apparently, I mean, these people were—they're still introverts—and yet, man, you'd want every one of those on your team. So you got to be—you got to know that, right? Yeah, they're
2: doing great things. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, probably, you know, obviously the youngest of that of that of that group. Uh, Although, I guess Emma Watson would be in that. uh, Yeah, she's a yeah. uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's not going to stop. Uh, people will remain and, and, and uh, always be introverts. It's a matter of identifying who they are, and, and they will do great things for you.
0: Do you see in all of your your kind of talent management work, I mean, this is now becoming an it. This is becoming something that – and you, you realize that, man, for 50 – I guess for 60 or plus years, businesses haven't even recognized the introvert as a valued part. You know, they, they didn't even see it as a difference. It, it was never differentiated. We assumed everyone is exactly the same, just a widget that you just plug into a situation.
2: That's right. And and, and uh, people do need, leaders need to rethink their teams. They need to rethink their hiring processes. They've really got to pay attention to making sure that when they are interviewing a group of people, uh, that they put everybody in, in a, a familiar, uh, a similar situation where everybody can be comfortable versus giving giving the extroverts uh, uh, basically a head start, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, by putting them in situations that are more comfortable for them.
4: Do you
0: sense that, um, I mean, I guess you also don't want to ha- to have this, you know, eventually have this, I don't know what you'd call it, this brand of being the introvert and have it impact your psyche, even though it's been quietly impacting psyches forever. Um, how do we make sure that we also don't use it as a crutch to not step up and voice and be more of a dynamic force on our team?
2: Well... um that yeah we can't we can't uh, just give a, a pass to introverts right they do have to i do right i've right. got to be able to at some point in time get out there and and do the necessary networking that's imp- important for a ceo to do uh and and, and so um you, you've just got to as an introvert uh, energize yourself enough prepare enough i know look i've talked in front of uh, hundreds of people <clears throat> as a keynote uh, as a speaker. Uh, I know going on to that stage, if I'm prepared, I'm going to do just fine. If I, for whatever reason, didn't sleep well the night before or I'm rushed because I'm running around from one meeting to the other and I've only given myself five minutes to prepare, I know going on I'm not going to do as well, and so I only have myself to blame. And and so I think from an interview perspective, post-interview, once you are hired in team meetings, the better prepared you come, uh, the better opportunities you, you, you give yourself to, in fact, speak up, offer an opinion. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, if you don't do that, then as an introvert, you really do only have yourself to blame. Mm.
0: So true, isn't it? That's, we we got to know ourselves and then and stretch ourselves, learn. There's so many resources now available to teams like you guys offer and, and I mean, organizations, solutions, um, tools, technology to help. But there's also... There's so much offered to just the individual to make sure that you're not being hindered by your your introversion.
2: Well, that's right. But Matt, if you're on the other foot, that, that's a challenge for the extrovert too, right? I right. I mean, uh, generalizing extroverts, uh, some would say they don't know when to be quiet.
4: Um, <laughs> right, learn, they right.
2: They don't know when to let others speak. And oh, by the way, they're maybe less self-aware um, mm. and, and because they just think they know it all and, and can do it all. And so... There is there is a happy uh, or medium uh, or balance that uh, I think is appropriate.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And again, and, the neat thing again, there's so much learning, and as a leader to note to go step out, look at your team through more than just their numbers, uh, look at their abilities, their skills, their uh, just their inherent gifts would add so much value, I think, to the entire organization.
2: Uh, agreed, and where the manager can really leverage things that were used in the hiring process, be it a personality assessment, or again a reference report, if you will, or or notes from the references that they talked to before making the hiring decision, is they can they can speak to an introvert. Uh, uh, in their one-on-ones or certainly during their uh, uh, performance conversations be they weekly monthly or quarterly uh, and say look this is not just my point of view yeah. your personality assessment uh, uh, indicated this your references said this you know this is about yourself so step up and let's make some corrections
0: It's great insight thank you so much Ray Ray Bixler is his name Chief Executive Officer at skillsurvey.com it's a great company you're going to want to go check out their web- website skillsurvey.com again uh, there to help you uh, harness your people and they provide HR technology to uh, maximize your HR services interesting stuff we will take a break my friends come back and uh, we're going to be talking about infomercials those funny infomercials you used to laugh about at night we're getting into it in deep with Caitlin Thomas we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever heard of the Ginsu knives, the Sham Wow, or a Chia Pet? How about those as seen on TV aisles at the grocery store? Ever actually stopped to check out uh, those products? Infomercials have been one of the top selling markets in the nation for years and years now. And even though we make fun of them, they are still in business and making lots of money for people. Caitlin Thomas is here to help us this morning to talk about infomercials, why we love them and why they are so successful. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. How are you? Good. Um, I can't stop watching it.
5: No, this is not the problem. I'm,
0: I've been watching an infomercial that <laughs> I've been following for years and every time I watch it, I got to go buy it.
5: Exactly. It's well, that's the, the Hawaii. Thing. The chair. holidays are coming up. I know. I mean, it's not, it's not Halloween yet, but people no. start. My mom starts shopping for Christmas. You know, in July. Does so, she really? So I just thought, what we would debunk this phenomenon,
0: like that it's that that it doesn't work. I mean, it must work well, because it, they working. keep doing
5: it. I actually have his name's Rohit Bagava. He's a business expert. Says that they work because one, they have a story behind them. Yeah. They are always shown to be needed for an average person's right. know, needs in their home. And they also show the product in action, which doesn't happen very often. And so it makes you feel like you're getting the better deal. <laughs> and then they use language that says – that gives you a reason to act now. And they say, you need to act now. And they're pointing at you at the TV and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, I do. I didn't
0: even know I needed this, but now I do because
5: – They're persuasive right. techniques. I mean we learn about it in, in my communications classes. Yeah. And it's working for the average you know, stay-at-home American customer.
4: So,
0: but what's working is they're making us think we need something that we may not need. Like yeah. my favorite is this, is the Hawaii chair.
5: That, it's a good one.
0: I love it. It's a chair that kind of Moves. gyrates and it, so supposedly it builds your abs while you're sitting while there. you're
5: sitting at your desk. Exactly. And who doesn't want to build abs while sitting at their desk?
0: Well, it just doesn't look right it because ridiculous. it looks like someone's got... Is just needing to go to the restroom.
5: Well, I mean, they're all kind of ridiculous. But, I mean,
0: but talk about the money—the money involved we've got, is crazy. I mean, the
5: top-selling ones. I mean, the Thigh Master sold; it made a hundred million dollars. Wow. The Sweat into the Oldies video. Yeah. Two hundred million. The Snuggie. We have that commercial clip. Actually, it's one of my favorites. There's the, the Snuggie. Snuggie. Here the it is. The blanket
2: that has sleeves. The Snuggie keeps you totally warm and gives you the
5: freedom yeah. to use your hands. Four hundred so million dollars. Or read a book. Snuggie. Four hundred million. The pet Egg. foot The foot scrubber.
4: <laughs>
5: Four hundred fifty million. The Showtime rotisserie cooker. One point two billion dollars. Okay. Are you kidding? Uh, yeah, now we have the other one, the Total Gym. This is one of my favorites.
0: Yeah. It's the fastest and most effective way like I've ever music? seen to get into shape. I and stay in shape. In total Gym. Six to eight minutes a day is all Six it to takes to get minutes. into the best shape of your life. It's
2: and easy. unlike other workouts, it's if not boring or uses exhausting. Uses it, it's fun and invigorating. You, you
1: stretch and get your strength training and aerobic Literally. workout Six all at the same time.
5: time. Oh, of wow. course we want that. Who doesn't want that? I mean,
0: if you could get in Total shape. With the total gym in just six to eight minutes, who wouldn't want that? Right.
5: I mean – and then you've got P90X, $300 million in P90X.
0: Oh, that's – People crazy.
5: still talk about it.
0: $300 million is all?
5: Is all because – but they buy it once and they don't have to rebuy it. Some no, of but I ones thought people
0: it. were – I thought that would be billions.
5: Oh, here's Proactive.
0: Uh, this, isn't proactive. Uh, this isn't proactive. This is proactive. Uh, this is proactive.
5: The secret. Yeah, proactive. Yeah, you'd this think is the I would be one. the most confident person, but the most confident Katie person Perry. still has their moments. Jeez. And a lot of billions my and most insecure of moments dollars. related to my face and to my the skin. Wow. Items. They put I Katie Perry right here. Yeah. You, mean, you know, next Av- to my Av- uh, mouth. I mean, you have Adam Levine, Justin here. Bieber, Carrie, Carrie Underwood, watching. doing these commercials. That's how. Yeah. Listen to the music.
0: Because this, because that would be for like acne, right? Right. And so it's really a pharmaceutical being sold as a as just a yeah, an infomercial.
5: It's it's amazing. To
0: crazy. Me. Crazy. What's your favorite? Well, mine was the Hawaii chair. That's that's always a favorite. I love the ginsu knives cuz they slice and dice and you can through cut, metal. you can cut through a can and then you can cut a tomato so so thin that you could read a newspaper through it.
5: Why is Who that? Who doesn't important? want to
0: do that? For, the, for like tomato spectacles or something?
5: Yeah. If I you mean, need to, tomato specs. It's crazy the money these people are making. So this holiday season, just watch out.
0: Just don't fall from the don't, trap. If
5: you don't need it, don't buy it.
0: Yeah. I think Confucius said that. Yeah, that was Confucius. If you yeah. don't need it, don't buy it. I am going to go get the GLH hair thing, though.
5: The spray that, like, colors, the spray your that colors
0: your bald head. The spray that colors your bald head.
5: Because I'm it, sure it looks like hair. Yeah.
0: It sure, it's spray paint on your bald spot, but no one's going to notice.
5: No, just be smart. Be smart about your shopping. Oh, I mean, you man. could waste hundreds of dollars on these products if you're not careful. Been there, done that. Three payments of 1995. Guess what, people? That's still sixty dollars.
0: It's still sixty bucks. However, they do the math. It's <laughs> However, still,
5: they try and frame. You're it. still
0: getting taken just advantage. Just
5: be careful. Of the snuggie, I recommend it.
0: Yeah. Well, in fact, nobody has used more snuggies than Jeff Simpson himself.
5: Jeff loves the Snuggie. I
0: am a firm believer that those are a thing of genius. <laughs> also, he loves the... I mean,
5: $400 million uh, of genius. Jeff
0: yeah. gets in his Snuggie, does the shake weight, and life is great. And then makes a rotisserie chicken. You, at you,
5: the same time, you wear
0: the snuggie while you do the shake weight, and you burn calories like nothing else. Because yeah.
5: you're wrapped up yeah. and you're warm, and you're sweating, totally. and you're working.
0: No, well. Totally, it's all it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> good job, Caitlin. Thank you for giving us the warning. Don't fall for it, folks. Just because it's the just holiday season, just say no. Just say no. That's what Confucius said. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up. Uh, actually, no. We'll start the third hour of the program. Stick with us.